welcome back to How AI Built This, the podcast dedicated to data and entrepreneurial storytelling. Uh, as always, we're brought to you by the wonderful people at Cathcart Associates and Fuzzy Labs, um, so thank you to them. Today on the show, we've got Josh Monk, Director of Data for the Retail and Consumer Division at Faculty, um, a data science consultancy who do some really interesting things, but we'll get into that later. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Really good to be here. We've been talking about doing this for so long that it feels like... I don't know, like if it must have been well over six months, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I have been listening to the show for ages. And I, I think what happened was I kind of reached out slightly fanboy style and said, uh, <laughs> I really love the show and uh, it kind of slightly seeded uh, an appearance. But yeah, we've been in discussion for ages. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, at least my daughter was a very small baby when we first started speaking and now she's slightly larger baby but yeah no it was it was cool when you, when you reached out and it's it's one of the nice things about the show that like different people from different backgrounds kind of stumble across it and then we end up talking about it and either get people on or they recommend people to come on so that was probably part of the show i didn't really expect so it's really cool but let's kick off so we always start in education i think i'm right saying so you did a physics degree in manchester right yeah, that's right. So I did um, I did just a regular undergrad bachelor's in um, in physics in Manchester, which was which was great. Kind of fell into it. Like I actually for a, a long time was going to go and do like music production and kind of work in music studios, um, and then kind of last minute decided actually maybe I should do something a bit more general. Did physics in Manchester, which was which was great. Love the city. Still lots of friends there. And yeah, so that was kind of my I guess entry into the world of like statistics and kind of how it's applied obviously within physics much more scientific uh, kind of applications and and in data science is much more you know the work i do the work we do the faculty much more commercial i think it's quite a common path in for a lot of folks to go into data science uh, from physics and certainly for me it was kind of like a really good grounding in like how to solve problems with data yeah no 100 it's kind of the seventh path yeah i think uh definitely i remember 20 15 16 before there was like masters of ai or like degrees specifically around i want to be a data scientist yeah physics was the almost always like the top degree or background that a lot of really switched on smart data scientists kind of came from um so it definitely makes sense yeah i lo- i think i think actually it's interesting now that there's now a much more diverse pool of people coming into data science from a much broader set of backgrounds. I think physics as a as a discipline does give you kind of like a really good grounding in, you know, te- technically approaching problems and breaking them down into kind of like the mathematical aspects of that and how you can then model things out. Um, but actually, that's just one way of doing it. And we see some, we see people that are coming into the faculty and data science roles from economics backgrounds, or, you know, even we have data scientists at faculty who are trained doctors and are coming from kind of a, a medical background, which is amazing. And that diversity of kind of, you know, how you think about the world and how you solve problems and educational background is so interesting and powerful when you then take it kind of into the data science world and you, you actually have a real mix of ways of breaking a, a real world problem down that I think is actually great. So I think it's really good how some of those educational programs around masters in data science and, and, and AI and stuff have evolved. That's great. But it's also great that people are coming to data science from a really broad range of backgrounds. Not, not I totally agree, not just physics, which was yeah. where, where, where most of them were coming from in, in like 2018. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense. And I suppose, like, we always talked about this before when it was predominantly physics. Because data plays a huge part in physics, like, you can't get away from it. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's always going to be there. Problem solving, statistics, maths. Like, if you want to really break down data science, that's it. That's it. Like, you need to be good at stats, yeah. good at maths. Obviously, programming comes into it. And then problem solving, um, yeah. which arguably is the hardest bit. Yeah, I think, well, I, I think I totally, I totally agree with that. And like, there are different flavors of data scientists, right? I think we're kind of figuring this out or we're kind of largely figured a lot of this out that, you know, there are data scientists that are, you know, really working on the hardcore maths and the stats that sits underneath a problem, maybe yeah. developing and designing new methods. And then there are almost people that are, they need to know how it works. But they're more focused on applying it and then really knowing the kind of the, the, the commercial problem or the, the actual, you know, business challenge they're trying to solve. I think both are equally valid like you kind of need both you need the people who 
make the musical instruments and you need the people who, who play them. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of the same with data science. And I think that is why it's really important that as a field, we've got people who are, who are not just coming from kind of like a pure applied stats physics background, but actually coming from a broad range of backgrounds and, um, and bringing that experience into how they use the tools of data yeah. science to solve problems. Yeah, and it's even like why we exist at Fuzzy Labs is that it stopped being a data scientist has to come into a business, f- talk to all the stakeholders, find the data, clean the data, choose where it's where it is, like choose yeah. how to deploy it, choose how to maintain it, like get it up and running in an infrastructure and understand the business problem and present it back to the CFO. Like, that was like one person's yeah. job like five, six years ago. And like it's quite it's quite funny now when you look at it like that. Because we, we often use the analogy similar to your instrument one that the data scientists are often building this like mega high performing engine but without a lot of the other stuff around it which either other data scientists bring to the team or data engineers or ml ops like you're just kind of leaving it in the garage like you you need everything which before people or companies weren't really set up to do that so yeah it feels like we're turning the corner a little bit i think that analogy is really i think it's a really good one and i think it kind of speaks to the pain that a lot of companies and practitioners had a few years ago when the kind of trend was like let's hire someone with a phd put them over there and kind of give them a macbook and hope that <laughs> hope that they do something really cool for the company yeah um and that was re- like there was a lot of that and was, i think you know data science and ai was a victim of its own success in that regard it was the kind of hot thing the sexiest job of the 21st century yeah. everyone wanted to get into it and so it was this real bandwagon of like right so you better just hire a bunch of um, really smart people and hope they'll figure it out. And, and you're absolutely right. Like, you know, without the, the 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 kind of technical support structures, the right set of roles around that, the right connection to the rest of the business, those people are going to get frustrated and they might build something great, but it's never going to get used. Yeah. And I think when you join a startup as a smart PhD data scientist with a MacBook, you probably get something done because <laughs> you're speaking to the founders, you're speaking to the other technical people, whatever it might be. But when you join like, can't even think of a good example but some massive company and like you're the first data scientist and you're trying to like get time with the software team with the sales team the customer success team like get all the data work yeah. out where it all comes from like all the sales data lives in that person's head like all the deployment stuff lives in that person's head and, like you're this poor person <laughs> trying to work it all out um it was yeah you're right there was a lot of like companies i want a data scientist because it sounds like it'll do something and then yep. they get pissed off that they're spending whatever they're spending on salaries for data scientists who at the same time are becoming jaded that they can't get anything done. So, yeah, no, we've definitely, definitely. turned we've definitely turned a corner there, which is good. So, yeah, you, you must have moved to Manchester for uni, right? So are you, where are you from originally? Yeah, so I grew up in um, the Chiltern Hills, so Chesham, Amersham area, which is um, famous for not that much, but <laughs> I think it's the kind of furthest you can get from London on the underground. So actually, if you if you go all the way to the end of the Metropolitan Line until Zone 9, which no one knows that it exists, but there is a Zone 9, then you're well outside the M25 and you, you're kind of basically, that's where I grew up. It's a lovely part of the world and studied in Manchester, which was great. Loved it. Very, very, very nearly stayed, um, but moved back down to London for for work. Nice. Yeah, you must have, when you moved to Manchester, been shook that the tram just goes around the city in like 10 minutes as opposed to Zone 9 into London. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think the, the most startling thing about the tram is the fact that it nearly hit me about three times <laughs> as I was walking across the gardens there. But you've got, yeah, you've, got be, you've got to be quick. I remember when I lived in Melbourne, they used to have an analogy that being hit by a tram was like being hit by a rhino on a skateboard. And they had like a cartoon of a rhino on a skateboard, like at all the crossings, being like, <laughs> don't get hit by a rhino on a skateboard, uh, which I thought was quite a clever way of like making light of a bad situation if you got hit by it. A tram is also quite scary. Like it seems like it seems like don't just don't get hit by a tram would be equally good advice to people. Yeah, it's true. Maybe that wasn't. It, yeah, people didn't resonate with that. They were like, no, I need it to be more cartoon. But yeah, anyway. So yeah, you, you did your degree. Any temptation to do like masters, PhD, like that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, I very, I very, very nearly stayed on and continued to do uh, to do my masters at, at, in, in physics in Manchester. In the end, it was kind of like a weird confluence of factors. Partially, it was just a desire to get out into the the real world and and, and do some work. Um, I don't think I ever would have been able to do a PhD. Probably not smart enough or patient enough to actually do one. But um, I, I could have done. I could have 
gone on to do the masters but yeah ultimately i made that decision quite late and that's what led me into the kind of next role i took out of education which was at ibm because you know again this is kind of <laughs> it seems in hindsight it seems like a really you know well-planned story but actually they were one of the few graduate schemes that were still open at that late in the year <laughs> so i applied for applied for them and it ended up being a, like a great decision a great place to start and i was kind of lucky actually that it was still yeah i was still able to kind of apply and get into that even though i kind of decided right at the almost at the end of the term that I wasn't going to stay on and do and, and do the masters. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of this show as well that everyone we speak to there's a story like that at some point. It's like yeah, it seems really well thought out like I did my masters then I did my PhD and then I got this amazing data science role. It's like I didn't really know if I wanted to do a masters. I almost chucked my PhD in the bin and I accidentally got that job. Like it's it's the same time I think we maybe yeah. had one person and I'm really annoyed I can't think who it was that basically planned out like this will lead me into a data science role. And I can't remember who it was, but it was like, I remember being like, wow, that's the first time anyone's ever said that. Like, normally it's like, we ask how you yeah. get into data science and they're like, eh, just, it kind of happened. <laughs> so yeah, you exactly. mentioned- Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really common. Yeah, no, I th- and I think it's the best way to do it. I think the problem when you leave high school and then even when you leave university, nobody really knows what they want to do yet. You're still a young person and like, you're just making it up and that's okay. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's really hard, isn't it? At that time, because you're thinking, God, I, you know, I need to know what I'm going to do. I need to make the right choices. If I choose the wrong course or the wrong um, degree or the wrong, you know, graduate scheme, whatever, like, you know, oh, I could, I could choose it incorrectly and I could end up doing something I really hate. And actually, I think the reality is the best thing is to just kind of choose something that feels vaguely right and you'll figure it out. And if it's wrong, you know, great, you learned something. And that was really useful. That was actually useful to figure out that's not what you want to do. Yeah. And I've made loads of, in hindsight, quite random choices and in some cases wrong choices, but that helped me figure out where, where I did want to be and what I, did, what I did want to do. So in that sense, as long as you're kind of stepping forward, actually, I think it doesn't really matter too much about trying to get it right. It's more about just trying something and, and seeing what works. Yeah, you're better giving it a shot. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned you kicked off your career essentially kind of in large consultancies or large, well, large companies. I mean, yeah. so IBM and then Deloitte. Yep. It's interesting when people start in those places, like looking back now, do you think mm-hmm. starting in those massive kind of like enterprise settings as your first experience of work probably gave you some unique insight into like data projects, how projects are run in general, like man like dealing with different personalities like it's it's a pretty like all-encompassing like education yeah it was really good actually I, I like i don't think it's for everyone but i think it's an extremely useful way to get a lot of really varied experience across a lot of different companies um quite quickly and in a way that you know you can't you can't do from working in-house so you know within the first you know three or four years of my career at ibm i had maybe done a dozen different projects with different types of companies across different types of domains and disciplines all within data. And that's quite unique. You don't get, you don't get the opportunity to do that if you're working in house. The flip side though, what you lose is you lose that kind of sense of, I really own something and I'm building it from scratch and I'm kind of really invested in the, you know, three, four year outcome of that. So you kind of are bouncing around, you know, project to project. Yeah. There's a really good talk that Steve Jobs does about like consulting being yeah, like yeah. looking at a you see, you know, looking at a picture of an apple rather than actually getting to eat it. Um and I think that's true, you know, and 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 for me that was one of the reasons that, you know, eventually I wanted to go in house and and ended up at Red Bull is to get a, an opportunity to do that long term investment in actually building something internally. But yeah, consulting is great as a place to start because they're really well set up to kind of give you a broad training and an education. You work with some fantastic, really talented people. There's a lot of stuff that will exist already around, you know, frameworks and ways of doing things and best practices that you can learn quite quickly from. And then the variety is is, is pretty invaluable. Yeah. And when you started your career at IBM, what, what kind of things were you working on? Like what, what were the kind of like problems? Yeah, so I, I joined IBM actually not thinking I was going to do data. I joined it basically to kind of do like technical consulting. You know, I was like, at that time, I was really interested in like programming generally and, you know, kind of the old stack of like PHP and MySQL like databases and that kind of stuff, but not really like, you know, doing data science or there wasn't really data science as a word, as a word back then. 
Yeah. And I would kind of ended up having a conversation on, I think like my first night of, of, of joining IBM, we kind of had welcome drinks, had a conversation with one of the partners there. He said, Oh, we're starting this kind of new thing called business analytics and optimization. And you've got a physics degree, so you'll be really good for it. And I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I said to him, that sounds quite boring. I'm not sure if I want to do that. <laughs> anyway, so luckily for me, he just totally ignored that and, you know, kind of brought me into that practice. Um, and at the time, yeah, that, that, that kind of work was, was really a lot of like, you know, single customer view. So helping, you know, kind of big retailers pull all their data together to get a kind of consistent view of, the, of customers. A lot of kind of things like reporting and, and analytics type projects. So so not loads of really advanced AI. There was some some modeling and, and, and predictive stuff that was happening around like, you know, remember kind of a big project around like churn prediction for telco, which is like a super standard use case. Some work in um, um, like pricing and promotions, but, even back then, it was it was pretty rudimentary stuff. Like we weren't doing like, like really whizzy state of the art AI, although it was possible that we were calling it that at the time. Um, you sold it, but it was great. <laughs> yeah, well, well, kind of everything became Watson. I think yeah. is, is what happened at that time. Um, but yeah, it was great because all of all of that stuff I think is actually really fundamental. And, and, and if you're in a in the kind of data world generally you'll know that like the model is important, but it's only one part of the stack, right? And you, you know, you need to have the data going into that that supports it. You need to have the systems around that, the architecture systems around that, the, the, the dashboards and the analytics on top of that. So actually it was, it was really useful for me to get a sense of not just, you know, the, the modeling and the machine learning piece that happens in the, uh, in the box, but everything that needs to happen around that to bring those sorts of projects to life. Yeah. And I suppose that's probably one of the things where sometimes if you work in-house or if you work, uh, a startup or something like that you can end up really focused on the model and the yeah. really the really cool r&d the experimentation like the the real deep dive yeah and you maybe don't look at any of the other stuff first or even as a new young data scientist coming into the market like you're probably going to work on like even if you come into faculty now you're probably going to work on some pretty cool like cutting edge stuff like straight away whereas there's maybe an argument that you cutting your teeth in some fairly kind of rudimentary ai stuff but more wide ranging analytics yeah actually is a good thing i think so yeah i think so i think it's really important that we don't i mean the models are really important in what they do, they're a kind of core component of, of decision making, but they just they aren't the be all and end all of what we're doing. And and it's you know exactly as your analogy with the car earlier, it's no good just to have like a really good high performing engine, but with no wheels, no doors, and no roof. You know, so I think it's 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 actually really important for people that are coming into the field, new practitioners, to have a sense of you know where does that model sit what like how does it interact with the things around it how do people consume that how does how does it integrate with other systems and again i do think this is something that we're kind of as a field getting better at you know yeah. that with broader specialism on like ml engineering and ml ops um like the stuff that fuzzy labs are doing there's this kind of whole new new sexy field of like analytics engineering um which is which is great and i think we're getting better at kind of realizing that actually you know, fancy models are great, but they're just one part of that solution. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there is an argument for kind of junior people to kind of cut their teeth a little bit more in a more broad sense because it will help them be better, more holistic data scientists in and the long term. You, and do you think as well, and I'm just continuing this analogy on because I was thinking about it, but <laughs> when, when you're at like an IBM and a Deloitte, you're almost, you're forced quite early to like, understand what the customer wants well balance what the customer wants and maybe what the customer needs but like the whole time you're doing a project it's because you're trying to deliver an outcome for a customer whereas sometimes when you go back to that engine analogy that mm. data scientists can sometimes build this really like a high performing amazing engine but the customer maybe doesn't have any need for a that much power or maybe they don't even have a road to drive on like they need like yeah. something they need an airplane like whatever like they're not thinking about the end goal they're much more yeah. consumed in technology and again that's changing a little bit but mm -hmm. there's still an argument that the business problem is where we should start yeah i think that's i think i mean it's it's almost so well known now it's a bit of a kind of trite saying that you need to focus on the business problem i think it's it is it's actually quite easy in some ways and like in consulting to kind of get a bit 
almost seduced by the other side where a customer will say like, oh, I want you to build me something that does this. And yeah. you kind of, we have a principle, one of our values of faculty is to is, is about invert. So always inverting. And I think that the, the idea of that is that we are comfortable to say to a customer, actually, you're kind of asking us to build you a model for this, but really what we think this, where we, where we should start here is 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 something that will do this because it's going to, that's going to be more valuable. So I think, yeah, starting with the business problem is really key. Obviously, I think there's, maybe even a kind of slight refinement of that is, is basically starting with the decisions. And, and that's the kind of really important thing. Like what, what is the business going to do differently with this kind of decision-making tool? What are the things that, you know, the decisions that you can't make today that you um, would like to make or that you would do differently from the way you do it today? And I've got this kind of cheap question that I often will ask at the beginning of a project, it's kind of my like slightly hidden um, hidden trick, which is which is basically who who like what person or what role is going to do what with this model or with this system, and I think if you can't answer that, if you can't get to a kind of a, a version of like right, well, currently we make this decision like this, and here's how it's going to be different, and this is the person who's going to be the customer of that, you're probably not ready to go on like a big machine learning build project. There's, there's more work to be done and the kind of upfront analysis to understand that. But yeah, I think that it's so important and and it's everyone kind of knows it now but i still see lots of places where it's not it's not been done and people jump jump straight into the into the machine learning piece without really having a good sense of where that um where that model is going to be deployed i suppose that happens a lot as well like maybe not in your world anymore because like retail has been relatively rife for like ai machine learning type decisions for a while same as finance but when you maybe see like say faculty pick up a big construction company and do something really cool with their like warehouse and logistics like they put some ai thing in it makes all the news like Mm -hmm. jcb have saved 10 million quid using ai then like every big construction or like building company are like oh we could do some ai and that's where like you're saying like well let's step back a little bit like who's gonna who's this gonna benefit and how are they going to use it when we leave and yeah they need to think about all that and everything around it as well you can't just a non-technical company can't just implement some wild AI solution into their wider business with nothing else there. Like yeah. there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that stuff can often be deeply unsexy, like the kind of systems integration and the kind of down, like analytics and stuff. And for a data scientist, you're like, just give me the data and like, I can build a model that will do this. And actually, I think that's a, it's a path to heartbreak, isn't it? Because, you know, you end up with the, the worst thing for a data scientist is you spend loads of time and effort building something that just never gets used, sits in the kind of in the, on the shelf. And and so I think as much as that stuff is often, you know, it's a, it can be a grind and it can lead you to kind of start in a different place than maybe the, you had envisioned. It's actually the right thing to do because otherwise you you end up building stuff that, that, that isn't useful or isn't, isn't going to get used. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, being useful and being used are two maybe undervalued things in data science totally right let's keep going because we've not even got to faculty yet (laughs) early 2016 you made what on the face of it looks like a fairly radical move from london to santa monica in the us to become red bull's director of data science so you touched on this already that you kind of there was a desire to kind of go in-house away from consultancy and and understand how that worked kind of internally how did that role at red bull come about how did the move to the States come about and, and kind of what made you jump, I suppose at that time in-house, but also a, a long way away. Yeah. So, so I, so I ended up um, initially kind of meeting the Red Bull team through, through work at Deloitte. And, you know, as part of that was, was spending a lot of time in Austria and, and a bit of time in the, in the U S I also have dual U S UK citizenship. And I'd always thought that, you know, it would be cool to go and live and work in the U S for a while. And so it's kind of like a bit of a kind of coming together of an opportunity where it was clear that something was needed out over there in the States. And I, it, well, I thought at the time it would be quite easy for me to make that move. It turns out in the end, I actually had to get married and and, and ship a whole bunch of stuff out there. So it ended up being more slightly more complicated than I had initially planned. But it was kind of a, a slightly random one. Again, like these kind of, you know, fortuitous, unplanned opportunities that came up just at the right time. There was a role that I thought looked really exciting to go get get a chance to kind of move and live and move and work somewhere else um, in an industry that and a company that was like like really great. So it again wasn't some master plan that I had. It was an opportunity that kind of presented itself and kind of seemed to tick a bunch of boxes. So uh, so I definitely was going to say yes to it. 
And uh, and yeah, that was, well, I can talk loads about kind of Red Bull and the journey and the mission. It was a great kind of experience going in-house, big change from, 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 from working in a consultancy for sure. Red Bull in particular, I was really excited about that and it was a great place to to do data science because of the breadth of everything that Red Bull does. There's all of these problems across, you know, not just the typical beverage company, energy drink type problems, but also, you know, the media and the content and the events and the marketing side as well. You know, there's data problems all over there and opportunities to kind of build things that are going to make a tangible difference and connect together that that that, that world of Red Bull in a really exciting way. So yeah, it was it was in hindsight a really good move. I was really happy with it. At the time you know, before I moved to the States, I always said, I'd love to move to the States, but the one place I'm not really that interested in moving to is Los Angeles because it seems really big and scared, like smelly and, and traffic ridden. And uh, actually, you know, exactly, you know, you, you can't plan for these things because that's where I ended up. And it was great. You know, Santa Monica is beautiful. There's the whole Silicon Beach vibe, you know, Snap were there, like big Facebook presence. So um, it was, yeah, it was a really exciting place to be in that kind of 2016 to 2019, 2020 um, time yeah no that's awesome and i think it's the first person that's ever got married for a job on the podcast well <laughs> I, I should be i should be i should be just in case my wife does listen i should be very clear to say that i didn't get married for the job it just maybe accelerated the time frame slightly like <laughs> um no that's funny but um red bull's weird right because i was just thinking about this like if you said to any punter on the street like what a red bull do they'd be like oh it's an energy mm. drink but like it, it couldn't be further away from an energy drink like that's just like a product they have on a shelf, but like they do so much that like I, I don't think you could even like you can't even categorize them as like a retail company anymore. Like they're just this massive organization. So like was part of your role was it data across all of it, and then you had to help pick like what you could try and make the most of essentially. Yeah, so you're right. Like it's, it's a it's a very big company that does lots of different things, but but broadly, those two things are they make and sell an energy drink, and then they have like marketing. <laughs> like that's the yeah. two things. Yeah, that that's but that but like that marketing bucket is like giant, right? And there's everything from you know people people jumping off the pier, dressed in crazy outfits, to kind of throwing themselves down um, uh, racetracks in kind of home built cars, all the way through to like you know, feature length films and content and stuff that, 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 that the media teams produce. So it's a hugely diverse kind of set of things that are happening there. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the, the thing that really attracted me to the role was an opportunity to go in and say, actually, you know, how could we use data and in particular data science more effectively and more efficiently across all of that? And, and actually, you know, that was, that's exciting because you think about how you can start to connect up different parts of that company using data that you know maybe historically had kind of been separate or you know find crossovers between the marketing world and the energy drink world in a way that kind of like weren't previously being um, being applied that's really exciting so it kind of led me from you know in some places like just super run of the mill demand forecasting and planning and stuff that is going to be bread and butter for almost every data scientist working in any uh, any kind of consumer products type business all the way to kind of like content recommendation and stuff happening live on the website that you know is absolutely not <laughs> something that you'd be doing in a in a in a, in a typical um, a typical kind of like consumer goods company. So that diversity of problems was like probably the thing that most appealed to me. And obviously, you know, what it, it helped that it was in California and um, working for a company like Red Bull. Did you feel any more pressure going in house? Because like, not that there's not pressure in a consultancy, but like you build a solution it's working to to a point like that the customer's happy with you hand it off and then you're available if they need you but like in a lot of cases you move on to the next project so like mm-hmm. was there weirdly a bit of pressure in terms of like i'm deciding that this is the way to go and i need to see it through and still be here when it's working or not working <laughs> yeah definitely i think i think i think um you know there's getting this right i think is one of the real keys to the data science teams that want to have longevity in in their businesses and so i've made so many mistakes <laughs> historically and, and one of the mistakes that i think i have made and i made at red bull before i learned better is kind of treating these things like a project right i'm going to go in i'm going to build a model and then once it's built it's done great next <laughs> but actually that just isn't how software works that isn't really how good machine learning works these things are, are really much more 
better thought of like internal products, right? Where, you know, part of that product is a model, but part of that is the systems around that and integrating that stuff into, into, into processes. And I remember one of the, when one of the big projects that we were doing involved providing better information to, you know, delivery drivers, right? So people who are out there selling Red Bull, they wake up, you know, really early in the morning and then they lift crates of Red Bull and kind of sell that to stores all across, all across the States. And the project was all around providing better information to those folks about what to sell, where to sell it, you know? And so it's great to be able to say, ah, oh, we've built this excellent model and it predicts to whatever accuracy, the types of products that are going to do better in what places. But actually then there's all of these other challenges around how do you get it into the hands of the people so they can actually consume that? How do you collect the right feedback from those folks so that, you know, you can improve the model over time and all these things that sit around the model that, you, you know, I, I just think are so important to understand both the data that's coming into it, but also the way that it's being used. And so we spent a lot of time like waking up at 5am and getting on delivery trucks and kind of going around various like parts of California, seeing how this, this stuff was being used. And I think that's, that's something that was a learning experience for me, to, the need to do that, right? Not just to kind of go build the model, hand it over and say, all right, I'm done, but actually to, to care enough and be take ownership enough of how that stuff gets used and, and, and employed and, and integrated into whatever that downstream process is. So yeah, yeah, definitely a lot more pressure to kind of make sure that things keep working over time. And I, I would definitely say that that's something that I have got wrong in the past, but learned kind of from bitter experience that it's important to, um, to consider when you're starting a new project. That's interesting though, because that's the second time I've heard, not on the podcast, actually, I spoke to someone else about this before, but like where there was a project for, something like like the delivery driver in this case it was yeah. um in this case it was like stock management and uh like kind of the people that rent out jcbs and like stuff like that um mm. they thought they had a problem with like inventory management the the person that was helping them could have built a model on the problem set they gave them but they said like well why don't we come into the warehouse and just see how things work like let's spend the yep. day there and they realized they actually had a completely different problem that a different model would solve but it was because they were in in that world like it wasn't just like yeah they didn't just build whatever they what they thought might exactly. work they actually went to investigate and like you said like you could definitely build a model recommending better routes or whatever it might have been but actually having the experience of doing the driving would be really cool yeah 100 percent. i think again this is kind of a characteristic of um i like think really good data scientists, they really, uh, they, they care enough about the thing that they're building, the model they've been getting used, that they're happy to kind of roll up their sleeves and go and see what that means in the field. Um, and that might mean talking to users or customers, that might mean, you know, actually going out into the actual field and kind of seeing and seeing how this stuff gets applied. But I think that, you know, for me, that's one of the things that I really love about this set of industries is that, you know, maybe unlike other, other sectors in retail and consumer, you can go and, you know, you can, see the thing being made or you can walk into the store and see the effects of the, of, or the, 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 the things that you're building, people using them. I really love that aspect of that. And I think it is, you know, I feel like we've talked about all these things that data scientists should do. They need to know about the, like, the analytics. They need to know about the business problem. And, and it's hard. Like that's like data science is, is kind of like, it's a, it's a really exciting field, but it is hard. But I think, you know, the very best data scientists that I've seen care so much about the thing that they're building being used that they're, happy to go and actually take the extra step beyond just building the model to to make sure that it, it, it gets employed yeah because without disrespecting everyone that listens to this show like the building the model is not it's not that hard like in terms of i couldn't do it but a lot of people can build good technical things on their laptop without even lifting their head it's all of the other stuff that like that makes that makes a good data scientist or a good data science company as well and we'll get on to faculty then because that that works quite well september 2019 ish so not kind of not too long before the pandemic so fortuitous timing perhaps you moved back to the uk and joined faculty so you spent a good few years at red bull but was it always the plan to come back to the uk do you think at some point again maybe like uh, in hindsight i'd be probably like you know claiming that i had again some master plan but i think at the time it was probably a little bit more random uh, we 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 initially thought we were going to do maybe three or four years. Then we got there and it's like, wow, this is California. It's wicked. Maybe we'll stay. Um, but in the end, it ended up being a kind of combination of, you know, personal reasons and family stuff and generally a feeling that we'd kind of done what we came to do in the States and, and, that, and that it was the right time to move home. So we have kind of made the decision to move back. 
to London. And, and again, really like just was looking up like great AI companies in London and came across faculty totally randomly. It wasn't, it wasn't like any more than that, just kind of a bit of Googling and, uh, and a bit of research and, 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 and got chatting to the team. So you approached them Quite rather than the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so cool. I just reached out to them. Yeah. And, and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm based in the States. I'm moving back to, to London at some point. Should we have a chat? And so, yeah, it was quite an extended process, a lot of back and forth, a lot of kind of, you know, probably maybe six months before I ended up actually um, kind of moving back and starting the role, um, which is cool because I did the whole, it was like everyone does interviews on video calls now, but actually the whole interview process was totally remote, which is a bit weird. And then, and then yeah, joined faculty in, in, in September of that year, which was great because, you know, came back, I found actually the kind of data science scene had changed a lot in London and like actually had become so much more vibrant and, and, and exciting. When, when I left, it was, it was, it was still kind of quite early days and it felt like I came back into this like really, you know, rich culture and like um, community of, of people kind of like who are doing a, a load of stuff. So it felt like, again, really fortuitous timing for me to come back to London and, 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 and join into that. So joined faculty to do kind of retail and consumer stuff. And then like three or four months later, kind of the pandemic came and a lot of those businesses kind of shut, shut up shop. So it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting few months over COVID. No, I bet. When you join, so faculty now, even though it's only been, what, two or three years, it's a very different company. So when you joined them in 2019, how big were they, roughly? Yeah, so when I joined, I think we were certainly less than 100. Maybe it was like 80 or, or, or 90 people. And now we're kind of just pushing on 300. So yeah, kind it's of, wild. It's, it's been a lot of growth. And if anyone doesn't know what faculty do or, or a bit of their kind of like backstory, yeah. what, yeah, what, what do you guys do and how did it start? Yeah, so, so we're an applied AI company. So our work kind of broadly falls into two camps. We help our customers kind of build, deploy and operate machine learning systems. So kind of actually getting the technology, you know, uh, deployed and running and we help our customers get them, themselves get better at building deploying and operating machine learning so the capability building piece and i think that's kind of the two things hand in hand are really important um you know it's the ambition of most companies to get better at doing this and so we think it's important for us as we go that you know we're we're not just getting ai machine learning deployed and delivering commercial results but actually we're kind of teaching people to fish as we go so the company started as a as, as a fellowship program, and I think one of the you know most unique things about us in the kind of data science space is this fellowship aspect to what we do, and you know training and, and capability building more generally is kind of in 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 our blood, if you like, for that reason. And the fellowship program is kind of um, a really well regarded kind of transition program for people coming out of STEM PhDs going into um, looking to go into data science. And we've done dozens and dozens of those fellowships now. I think we're on like fellowship 25 or 30 or something like that. So hundreds of, of alumni from the fellowship are now in all different parts of all different companies at all different seniority levels. But it's great because that's a community of people that have kind of come through that fellowship program that are now part of our extended faculty family, if you like. Yeah. Um, and that fellowship in the way that we kind of can bundle that with our, our engagement with customers means we can offer something a little bit different from just kind of a turn up and do a project yeah so these guys and girls who come for the fellowship get to work on real projects get some really interesting experience and even so i didn't know much about it until relatively recently but thinking back and since i found more um, found out more about it you see the faculty fellowship on a lot of like linkedin profiles and cvs and then when you look up from since then they're doing some pretty good stuff like it's a pretty like highly regarded scheme right it's yeah, I think it's it's extremely oversubscribed. So we get, you know, something like ten percent of PhDs graduating from kind of STEM subjects apply to the fellowship. So a huge number of applications the team get every year. Um, and then it's like very selective. So so we're really kind of refining down to kind of a small number of people. So it is really well regarded. Obviously there's, you know, a lot of training that that happens as part of that and then obviously kind of real world project with with, with real customers. So that's yeah, I think it is generally seen as kind of one of the one of the better places, both to get for a, from a practitioner standpoint to get started with data science, but also if you're a company that's looking to kind of explore kind of data science for your business and or hire people, it's a great way to do that. Um, yeah, how, how do you choose that small number of people 
when there's so many people applying like that must be like almost like close your eyes and just point at some of them because they're all super qualified they're all super qualified i'm sure there's a lot more to it than closing your eyes and pointing <laughs> at him. <laughs> um but yeah we have we, like at this point we've done we've done it a lot we, we're i think like like to our earlier conversation good at finding people who are coming from a diverse set of backgrounds who've got like kind of like the hunger and the talent and the ability to kind of exceed and transition to that because you know we're not hiring people who are experienced data scientists into the fellowship so you need people who are able to who are coming from a background and able to kind of grip the the technical side but also the commercial side of what what we do and, and kind of do that quickly yeah um yeah no it makes a lot of sense and specifically for you then you obviously worked yeah. in that retail space uh, at red bull and now you head up this retail and like, consumer side of faculty yeah. so We'll skip the pandemic part of the story, but um, <laughs> in terms of like challenges in that space, is it is it remarkably different to other areas of faculty and other problems that faculty solve? Like, what what's unique to your world? Do you think? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you know, in broadly, faculty works across a, a, a like a s- small number of areas. So we're quite well known for some of the really amazing work, and in in a lot of cases, kind of award-winning work we've done in public sector and 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 with in the health sector for the NHS, for example. So there's some really like outstanding work that's been done there. Kind of less well known for the work that we do in my part of the world, which is retail and consumer. But actually, we've done some really excellent work there too. Which probably haven't talked as much about it in the past as as we're going to. I think for us, like the thing that you know really is unique about our world is this idea of like behavior, like customer behavior shopper behavior audience behavior and i think this is it's such an interesting space and and it's you're right to your point earlier retail is in a, a world which is kind of rife with data science and ai like most retailers will be aware of this set of technologies and probably have something that does something on their website or for shopping carts or or for assortment or whatever but i think what's really interesting and the the, the reason that i think it's still a really interesting sector to get into is that you know, you've got all of these weird feedback loops about how models and customer behavior or human behavior interact. And so what I mean is, you know, you're trying to predict what a person is likely to do, what they might buy or when they like what they might react to in terms of an offer. But the minute you make a change using that model, you influence that person's behavior. And so if you don't factor those things in into the way that you build your models, and the way that you kind of deploy those models, you can end up in these really like vicious feedback loops that like, I'm sure you will have experienced as a, just a, a customer, which is like, you get spammed every single week because you bought something and you get, you get three emails at, um, uh, a, a week just because um, you, you bought something three months ago. And so I think it's really interesting from a, from a machine learning perspective, because that opens up this domain of like totally different types of modeling. And, you know, there's a lot of causal inference and really exciting work that's happening in reinforcement learning, for example, where actually you're going way beyond kind of the standard machine learning, like build a, a propensity model and deploy that and really starting to think deeply around the interaction between a machine learning model and behavioral decisions that someone's making in a, in a, in a journey. So for that reason, I think that's like, that's what kind of separates a lot of our work from maybe the kind of slightly more standard machine learning stuff that you maybe see with kind of like predictor machine is going to break down or, or something like yeah. that. And it's why I think this space is so interesting for data scientists is that that whole kind of feedback loop type process. Yeah, there's always the classic like bought a pair of white trainers and then you get suggested to buy more white trainers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think every, I think everyone's seen that and fallen victim to it. And you know, I think for a lot of retailers it can kind of feel good because like, oh I've got my my white trainer predictor and like that's great. But actually the the long term impact of that is that you end up really annoying a lot of your customers and it kind of actually doesn't work and might might be helpful in the first couple of weeks but over time that the performance of those sorts of things drops off and drops off and drops off and that's what i mean about you know longevity of models that you've got to own the performance of these things long term and to do that it requires more than just kind of build doing a project to build and deploy a model you've got to really think about how that model is impacting the data that's that you know the, the decisions that customers are making the data that's generating and how that whole thing gets better over time yeah no definitely and i've gone off on a tangent here but if if you guys picked up or as an area of interest, like some of the kind of computer vision stuff that's going on in, in retail and fashion just now, have you noticed a spike in that? Yeah. I mean, we've done a little bit of that. We've done a little bit of that. Although I would say generally that's quite well served in some ways by companies that have kind of really like doubled or tripled down in kind of 
building solutions for that for that kind of space so i do think that is i do think that's a really interesting um an interesting space although i would say it's probably the smaller part of what of what we do in my team so yeah i think there's you know like we actually did a fair amount of it at red bull kind of like like photos of shelves and like identifying where things are out of stock or you know identifying products as they're kind of going through a, a production line or whatever but um i think that there are these there are these pockets of places in data science where you know people are going to invest really heavily in building like a thing to do that and the problem is so standard across different companies that you, as an in, as an in-house person you're going to be hard pushed to kind of compete to build a better solution and then yeah. there'll be places where actually the problems are super specific or idiosyncratic to your business and those are the places where you should definitely spend your time and effort because you can do something totally different that someone you know or, 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 or a company or, a, or a, a point solution software provider just won't be able to yeah no that makes sense is there like an area of of retail and consumer across data that that looks like it's going to really like pick up or is there something is there, cause i've not really read into this world but is there, is there anything mm-hmm. that seems to be on the horizon that like that you guys have got sight of or is it just lots of refinement of like some of the really interesting stuff that's going on already so i think so i think like when i started in this space like the, the big thing the hot thing was all around like you know marketing and purchasing and promotions and the kind of like the kind of front office type use cases that i'm sure loads of people who are listening to this will be familiar with propensity modeling and lifetime value and stuff like that that was kind of where everyone was spending all of their time and kind of the operational side like demand forecasting was really boring <laughs> and it was kind of seen as a bit like oh you know whatever that's like not that exciting and then there was like covid you know supply chain shortages and crisis and suddenly like forecasting is really really interesting again <laughs> like if you can do this well like suddenly that might be actually like the biggest problem or like the biggest value lever for the business is being able to get get better and more accurate forecasts um and so it's weird that that you know was previously not looked down upon but just kind of like you know not not exciting or like not sexy and yeah. now it actually might be you know an area where probably is kind of hard pushed to find somewhere better to spend your time than getting more accuracy in, in, in how you plan. But it's hard because, you know, you know all, all of these things mean you don't have really good long histories of data to to build good, like accurate models on anymore. So you've got to think about new methods and new approaches. So I think there's a huge amount of really exciting work that's happening in that space. I'm seeing people working on new approaches and new methods for, for building accurate forecasts of demand and sales and stuff like that. Um, in a way that, yeah, I think a few years ago, it was almost a bit like, oh, well, you know, that's not exciting. Now it's like, that's really, really exciting. I suppose that goes back to business value again, though, right? Because like pre-COVID, there was like, nobody cared about like stuff like stock logistics, like blah, blah, blah. Everything worked how it had worked for a long, long time. And they were selling lots of stuff. Like, well, let's take Mm -hmm. a successful retail company. They were selling lots of stuff. But the COVID pandemic, people the way they worked completely changed and then what they valued completely changed. So yeah, now it's flipped on its head, like you said. So that's, uh, it's interesting that it's kind of, it can go full circle just like that. I think it will continue to grow because, you know, we're seeing if you're a retailer at the moment, it's quite scary. You've got maybe recession on the horizon. You've got, you know, shortages in labor or supply chain and raw materials. Costs are going up like across the board for everything. You've got to prove your sustainability credentials and make sure that you don't, you know, you don't cut corners in a way that is bad for the environment or bad for your customers or bad for your supply chain. And so all of that stuff is you know, all of these pressures on like how you operate as a business. None of those are actually really front office customer facing things. They're really how you operate as a business. And so making good decisions across that space requires you to just be able to plan better. And so I think we'll continue to see a lot of, a lot of real focus and effort going into how, how to run, how to run the business more effectively using better predictions, better data, better models. Yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And even just like so many retailers just changed how they worked in COVID. So like they've had to change all of their systems and then data plays a huge part in that too. So um, yeah, the, I mean, your world's certainly not going anywhere um, in terms of like machine learning and, and retail and consumer. So that, that's good. Um, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's super interesting. I was going to touch on recruitment. Is your team, your team hiring? We are, we are definitely. So we are definitely hiring. So kind of two within my team, we have basically, you know, the technical side, so data scientists and machine learning engineers. So particularly interested there 
for people obviously who are passionate and excited about some of the stuff that we've talked about today. Um, we also have people who are um, more on the kind of commercial and delivery side. So those are folks who are maybe not writing code, but are really interested in translating the work that is done by data scientists into kind of commercial outcomes and decisions and kind of the kind of customer world. So we're recruiting everywhere. So if any of that sounds interesting, then people should definitely reach out. You know that commercial rule you just said, what do you guys call mm. that? Yeah, well, we, we don't call it an analytics translator, although I think that in, in a lot of ways it lines up to that. The roles the roles are kind of fairly blandly titled like a delivery manager and delivery associate. So they end up being um, kind of more like consulting titles, but actually the, the, the work is really heavily about taking kind of machine learning systems and kind of translating them into into the customer world. No, it's really interesting because the very the two very first podcasts I ever did, so I don't even know when that was, but I uh, the question I asked at the end was like, well, there's two questions. Do you think chief data officer will be on all of the kind of C-suites? Didn't really happen. And then the other question was, is so, I, I couldn't think of a better title, but is something like a data science BA going to become more prominent? And what actually happened was data product owners became a lot more yeah. prominent. But yeah. I still think the translator, the BA, the delivery, like that that person yeah. is probably really undervalued or under underutilized. Like companies don't have that person and it actually makes a lot of sense and, and still does. Yeah. So it's interesting that you guys have obviously nailed that. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's again, a really important component of making sure this stuff comes to life for, for our customers and in general. I do think a lot of, I'm seeing a lot more of our customers are hiring data product owners and like yeah. the, I think the businesses that are really good at this are, are, are definitely taking a product approach to it so I think that's that's absolutely like spot on in that, in that, that framing for us obviously we're we're most often kind of building and deploying that stuff and then working with the product owners in our customers businesses to kind of yeah. help them kind of on, ongoing maintain and operate it but yeah I mean the chief data officer thing who knows like some I heard a prediction from someone I was talking to about kind of chief decision officer like apparently that's like going to be the next like I'm, I'm yet to yet to be convinced, but that's because that's people know like some, people, some people call it decision science or decision intelligence. People have just changed the word, but like it's, I mean, chief analytics officer is probably going to be make the most sense because it's just like they'll they own and run data. It's not data science. It's not BI. It's not. It's it's just analytics. Um, but yeah. who, who knows? Um, and maybe it doesn't yeah. even need it. To be honest, maybe it's just having director of data and kind of good senior leadership team bought into data is enough. Like we, we don't know yeah, yet. We don't, um, we don't. We don't know yet. Stitch Fix has a chief algorithms officer, I think. Like Eric Olsen there is a chief algorithm. So that's pretty sweet job title. <laughs> that is pretty good. I mean, I suppose, and not every company's got a CTO, and not every company's got a CFO. So it's not like a, a catch-all yeah. anyway. It was just a, I remember it being one of the last questions asked on the first few shows, and it, and it dropped off pretty quickly. But no, thank you for coming on. Really do appreciate it. People should check out faculty, the fellowship, some of the events that run at that pretty awesome space you guys have in London and reach out yeah, to Josh if, if anyone liked the sound of what they're working on but thank you for coming on really glad we could do it definitely thanks so much for having me